Welcome into the Sun Devil Source podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about ASU basketball, giving a preview of the season and just giving expectations for the upcoming year as well. I'm welcoming in today. I'm joined by Carson Breber. Carson, how are you doing today? I am excellent, Ethan. Thank you. I'm also joined by reporter Jacob Rudner. Jacob, how are you doing today? Ethan, I could not be better. It's a little podcast powwow we're having here today at Sun Devil Source. This is the second podcast of the day. Who doesn't want to do two Sun Devil Source podcasts in a day? Also joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Well, it's nearly half the hour, Ethan, so you know I'm getting pretty happy. <laughs> pretty happy, as was Arizona State, as they dominated both of their exhibition games earlier on uh, this month, or I guess last month as well. They dominated New Mexico State, as well as NIAA team St. Catherine, who we were in attendance for, for that game as they dominated them before we go into what to look out for this season, let's set the scene first in terms of last year, how the team performed. It was really an underwhelming performance. They were out in the quarterfinal round of the Pac-12 tournament, and it's really kind of caused this overhaul of the team, of course, coupled with the change in transfer rules. But Carson, what really happened last year, and why did this team not quite perform to what expectations were at the beginning of the season, and why did this overhaul end up happening? Well, I think that there was just a glaring lack of complementary personnel in that ASU accumulated a lot of talent, but in that they left some pretty glaring, incohesive pieces and just some blind spots in the roster. They were consistently dominated on the interior, had to turn to guys like Chris Austin to play significant minutes, an undersized center. Even Jalen Graham felt like he was playing out of position. That was a weakness. And then they had this uber-talented backcourt but a lot of one-on-one isolation creators, Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge, Josh Christopher. So there wasn't really flow to the offense and guys weren't amplifying each other. So you mix in with that, the fact that there were some health issues. They obviously had some COVID stuff, as was very common last year. They didn't shoot the ball all that well for a team that was so perimeter-oriented. It was just really a perfect storm of things working against them. And now they have basically completely rehauled and have almost nothing left from that roster and a very different looking team that may not have the raw talent on paper, but has a lot of different strengths. I think that last year's team was completely missing. Yeah. And and to that, I would just add that there was also, you know, some off court issues that plagued ASU last year between COVID problems. Uh, Jalen Graham had mono at one point in the season Uh, So when guys are not able to, you know, gel together the way that they have to, like Carson said, and you also add on to that, that they don't really have the time to create whatever connection they, the, 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 to reach whatever ceiling of connection they were, they had because of these problems with injuries and guys aren't able to play because of the COVID rules and whatnot, it makes it really difficult to be successful. So in addition to what Carson said about on court problems and just the lack of cohesiveness, there was not really a whole lot of opportunity to establish any of that just due to the lack of time that this team had together as a whole without at least one of its players unable to play. Usually it was multiple. Yeah, there was a lot of challenges that they had last year. Um, COVID prevented them from gelling as a team because they didn't get into any sort of consistent practice schedules. And it was different than anything that they had done previously. Um, so you're, you're, you're trying to figure that out kind of on the fly. They had injury problems, uh, quite a bit of injury problems when you look at it and they, um, between Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge and Josh Christopher, I think that they had bad chemistry issues pretty clearly. Um, the players were not very complimentary. I think the work ethic was not very good with any sort of consistency the leadership was not great uh, and um, players really didn't even like each other to be perfectly blunt and all those guys are they all want to pound the ball be heavy dribble utilization players and shoot a whole bunch of shots including many that are not really high percentage and there's only one basketball to go around and they really struggle to make that work. They also are not very good defensive players and um, play a very gambling style 
and uh, Bobby Hurley was, was from the very beginning of their official practices calling attention to the fact that he was concerned about their ability to defend and rebound. So not surprisingly, they struggled throughout the year with their defense and rebounding. Uh, and um, I think they also feed off of energy and crowd and they never got that. That's a, a big thing about Hurley's teams is they, they play emotionally. And so you put all that together and it was a recipe for a very disappointing season. Um, their, their front court was so limited. And then they, uh, the, the transfer that uh, they had of Romello White was massive, right? I mean, th- that happened late. It was whenever it was May, they, they couldn't replace him with anybody. Jalen Graham wasn't up to the task. Then he got mono. He was foul prone. They, br- they bring in Chris Austin. He's not, he wasn't very good. So they, they uh, had pretty significant problems and they just were not able to overcome them in the constraints of what that season was. And with that season kind of being underwhelming, there was a lot of expectations at the beginning of the season, but now there is a huge overhaul of the roster last year at the end of the season, Hurley vowed to find players he wanted to quote unquote, go to war with. So that is a really interesting thing that he brought up. And he talked about rebounding. You talked about, there was also playmaking problems last year in terms of players that really wanted to create their own shot. And they brought in a bunch of new players. So Carson, there's a huge overhaul. And with him saying he wants to bring in players, he wants to go to war with what was the emphasis in bringing in players with the new transfer portal rules. And what did that overhaul look like? Yeah, well, there has been a fundamental change in identity of this team, driven partly by personnel and partly by personality. We have heard repeatedly Bobby Hurley and players talk about how competitiveness in practice is consistent with this team, that toughness is a point of emphasis and defensive intensity overall is a major point of emphasis. And that really applies to all of their personnel. They've brought in two-way guys in the backcourt, Marion Jackson, Luther Muhammad, dudes who are going to consistently compete on that end, apply pressure at the point of attack. We saw that in their exhibition against St. Catherine. And then on the front court, they've added just major length. And again, dudes who can impact the game on the defensive end. So that is probably the biggest change. It's that defense is now such a point of emphasis for this team, but the depth is dramatically improved. And a lot of that was done through the transfer portal, bringing in Luther Muhammad, out of Ohio State, although that was last year, but he wasn't able to play last season because he had to sit out. And then you bring in Marion Jackson, who was the MAC player of the year at Toledo. You bring in Jay Heath, a really productive scoring guard at Boston College. DJ Horn, a guy we've already seen can fill it up. He did that at Illinois State, and now his shooting is already translating at ASU. Alonzo Gaffney, a former top 50 recruit, started at Ohio State, then went to Northwest Florida State College, and now has been one of the most impressive guys. And then you bring in the highest rated center prospect to commit to ASU in 24-7 sports history, in Enoch Boache, who right now is not among probably the top eight guys in this ASU rotation. And he is tremendously talented and has a ton of room for growth. So they have brought in an immense amount of talent. Their depth, I think, is so fortified. And again, they have addressed some of the biggest, biggest weaknesses on last year's team and that defensively, they couldn't compete overall. They had issues on the interior, massive issues. They have fixed that. And their guards now, they have guys who are used to being the top gods, the top dogs, I should say, at programs that don't have quite as much talent as ASU. But nevertheless, they think that they can gel and they have the ability to do so, I think, certainly at a higher level than last year's backcourt, where those guys were so defined by one-on-one scoring. This year, you do have more complementary pieces, more playmaking, more off-ball shooting, just things that make the team flow and work together more. And, and, and you know, you go through all these things that ASU is trying to accomplish and Hurley is trying to accomplish in terms of its on-court product. But, you know, after last season ended, Hurley made it abundantly clear that he was looking for players who were willing to buy into the identity off the court that he was looking for as well. He wanted guys who were going to come in and were going to foster this very competitive environment and practice that was going to push players to be more successful than the ones that he had last year did, to, to, to put it frankly. And he was able to accomplish that. You know, we've heard now stories, like you said, Carson, where Luther Muhammad is stepping up as this leader, not only in terms of ASU's new, very aggressive defensive identity, but also in terms of its practice style and what he's able to do to motivate his teammates to be more successful at practices, which is they're hoping to translate 
into actual gameplay. And there are more guys like that. DJ Horn, Marion Jackson, all of those guys are, you know, a part of this team now that Bobby Hurley envisioned last year to really motivate each other in a way that it's going to be productive rather than having players who are motivated to succeed individually. And I think that we saw a lot of that last year. And obviously we weren't able to sit down practices and really understand the dynamic watching it ourselves from those sessions. But just from watching ASU's games last year, you could tell that there was a disconnect, like we said, between many of its top players. And that starts on the practice court. So I think Bobby Hurley was trying to eliminate that through the transfer portal by bringing in guys with experience, guys who know how to put together a winning product, but also to be motivational leaders for their teammates. And that's something that I think has been a major story so far with this team. And look, I think that Bobby Hurley was exceedingly transparent when he made the comment about wanting to find guys that he could go to war with. Uh, you don't really say that unless the team that you currently have, that you're just finishing the season, did not provide you with that sentiment, right? And when Remy Martin's a senior uh, and Alonzo Verge is a senior, and, you know, they're, they're obviously still playing college basketball because they transferred, but they're your veteran presence guards, right? And you have some older players as well in Kamani Lawrence, uh, for example. And you're still making those types of comments. It's so telling that coupled with him saying that he had a lot of concerns about their defensive intensity and fortitude and their tenacity and their work ethic, right? He just felt like he was having to motivate on an everyday basis in ways that he just, that, that were too tough to overcome. So when he hit the transfer portal really aggressively, more so than any season in history, the ASU has nine new scholarship players. That has never happened before, guaranteed 100%. Uh, he did so with an eye on not just adding certain types of skill and athleticism, but also doing so with players that fulfill uh, uh, the mindset that he wants to uh, play with. And we saw that really quite clearly in the way that they played in this exhibition against St. Catherine. You have guys in uh, Luther Muhammad, of course, who sat out last year, post-transfer from Ohio State, Marion Jackson, uh, who are very competitive. Uh, and even DJ Horn and Jay Heath and guys in the front court, Alonzo Gaffney, even, you know, you know, watch it. They were moving their feet and competing and they were calling out screens defensively. They were getting after it. And they weren't just doing that when they were up like 5, 10, 20 points in a close game. You had guys taking charges underneath the basket when they were up 60 points, right? That is because it is ingrained in who the people are. And Hurley didn't have that previously in too many guys. And then that spread and it became contagious and that was their culture. He knew they needed to fix it. And now I think clearly that's not their culture. And which also, by the way, is because you don't have a bunch of lingering bad eggs or bad seeds, it, they, they, the people were not used to playing in that culture in that way. So you're going to come in and quickly change what you're doing. And I don't really think that that was the problem that Marcus Bagley had. And he really didn't even play a lot because he was, of course, hurt or uh, Kamani Lawrence, for example. Um, so and Jalen Graham. So I, I just think that they are in a totally different place and it's, it's for the better, really. And we're going to get into like the entirety of the roster. I know, but I, I just think that there's reason to be confident that this is going to be a team that ASU fans are going to enjoy watching and feel like is putting its best foot forward on a pretty consistent basis. And on that note, you guys touched on the guards a lot. touched on Luther Muhammad, touched on Marion Jackson, DJ Horn, Carson, you said a couple of those. The backcourt is completely different. Remy Martin that we also have touched on, Alonzo Verge, Holland Woods, Jalen House, all of these players, Josh Christopher going to the draft, all of them are no longer there. So they brought in a huge point of emphasis, at least in the offseason, is bringing in those guards. And one of the things Hurley talked about in those guards is they were getting a lot of rebounds, which, Chris, you just touched on, was something that maybe wasn't exactly the same last year in terms of their guards. 
but what does that backcourt look like Carson and, and what, who are the most important players from that fans need to know about in terms of success for the team moving forward? Well, I think that really all four of the transfer guys who are going to play in that backcourt are super important. And that's part of what is so remarkable about this group. It's that theoretically there should be a tremendous amount of balance there. We saw it in the scrimmage, DJ Horn, Marion Jackson, Luther Muhammad, and Jay Heath all took between six and 11 shots. And the two dudes who had the biggest scoring outputs were Jay Heath and DJ Horn, who maybe you wouldn't have anticipated to be the highest scoring guys. Maybe weren't the most prominent incoming transfers, just given Marion Jackson was a league player of the year. Luther Muhammad had success, obviously at a big power five program, but there's a lot of talent there. And I think that like Chris said, they have all bought into the two-way identity. A guy like DJ Horn maybe doesn't have great physical tools on that end, but he is competing. Jay Heath is competing. And then the other two, it's just fundamental to their identities as players. Luther Muhammad is kind of a do-it-all guy, can fill multiple roles for you, off-ball or on-ball, a guy with good passing instincts, a guy who can shoot the ball reasonably well. Marion Jackson, maybe the guy who sort of most dictates the overall flow of this offense, kind of a high-usage player, do-it-all guy, scoring, rebounding, playmaking, super reliant on the shot from beyond the arc. Almost half of his career attempts at Toledo were from deep, and we saw Every attempt but one in the scrimmage for him came from beyond the arc, but that's valuable too because it means he can play off ball effectively. And that's another thing that is great about the construction of this group. It's that Alonzo Verge wasn't really a great catch and shooter. Josh Christopher's shot from beyond the arc was inconsistent. Remy Martin's shot from beyond the arc was even inconsistent. So not only was it that those guys all wanted to play with the ball, it was sort of hard for them to be effective without it. That's not really the case with these four. All of these guys can shoot the ball you have good playmakers in Jackson and Muhammad. Jay Heath is continuing to learn, I think, in that respect, but has a great score skill set, physical guy, can change pace well getting downhill, really capable of getting to the bucket, and can also shoot well enough. And I think that he will have to learn how to move the ball within the flow of the offense, but it doesn't seem like he's super far away from that. He's not a black hole. And then DJ Horn is just a pure shooter, as pure of a shooter as there is, was over 40% from deep in both of his years at Illinois State. We saw it against St. Catherine. He was four or five from deep, just a beautiful shot. And he's got a creative handle. He's just kind of a slippery bucket, really. But again, he's willing to compete on that defensive end as well. So there's talent, there's depth, there's dudes who, like Chris said, seem to be willing to play multiple roles. They have the skill sets and the mentality to do that. And that just flat out did not exist on last year's roster. And I would say that, you know, one of the big things that is going to play a factor is that cohesiveness that we mentioned a second ago. And, and like I said, a, a couple minutes ago, ASU had a bunch of guards last year that like Carson said, were kind of just happy to go out and do their own thing. And they weren't particularly great at it. They would go out and they would shoot the ball, you know, from a very inconsistent clip from deep and they would take shots that were highly contested. And it was kind of this, free-for-all, do-it-yourself sort of game. Whereas I think that the tendency that we're noticing more with this team is a willingness to help each other be successful. And that's particularly noticeable within the, the, the new guards that Hurley brought in. And that's important because when you do have guys who are successful shooters, like Carson mentioned, you are going to need to be able to distribute the ball to them evenly or at least to a degree where they're going to be able to be successful without worrying about one of their teammates trying to steal the thunder, for you know, so to say. And I think that that happened a lot last year. And that's kind of one of those things where I think that this is a group now that has the potential to be successful in terms of its scoring ability, as well as its defense, because of its ability to communicate and because it's willingness to play together. And it seems that there's more of a collective goal for these guards than it was a year ago. So look, you have four guards, all of whom did not play a minute last year for ASU basketball. They're going to take up all the minutes this year. At, that, at those positions. And sometimes they're going to play three guard lineups. Some get, sometimes they're going to play two guard lineups. Okay. But the four guards are Marion Jackson, who as Carson said, was the Mac player of the year last year at Toledo. He uh, took as many three point shots as anyone in the country over the last two years, extremely prolific uh, at, at filling a stat sheet points, three pointers, assists, rebounds, very high usage rate. There's going to be some questions about 
is he is he maybe taking too many threes probably at times a little bit okay because of the how talented the rest of the roster is but yet he is a good three-point shooter you're not going to feel like here's this guy shooting asu out of games or whatever probably like you felt last year with alonzo verge or you know even josh christopher at, at times right and then you have uh, another guy who's almost for sure going to start is Luther Muhammad. These, those two guys are going to be starting. Muhammad is going to be a dog of a defensive player. He's going to be the guy who doesn't need to shoot that much. He's a facilitator. He's going to make really good passes. He's going to space the floor properly. He's going to be the guy who rallies the troops and gets everybody involved and feeling good about what they're trying to do. And he plays complementary in a very great way with the other guards. And then your other two options, Jay Heath, who is a bucket getter, is a guy who's going to score off the bounce. When end of shot clock situations, he's a really great guy to have. End of game situations, a really great guy to have. Is he going to feel like he's not getting as many shot attempts as he wants? That's potentially a concern. But I would say, though, that he's like probably a better version of Alonzo Verge for what this team is going to be from an ideological standpoint. And then in DJ Horn, you have somebody who is as good as any shooter that Bobby Hurley has had. And I'm even including the guard U teams with Trey Holder, Shannon Evans, Cody Justice. I would say at least as good as them. He made 11 out of 13 threes, I believe, in ASU's two exhibition games, one of which we saw where he made five in a row. But um, he also isn't trying to get a whole bunch of other shots. So you can see that he's going to be in a, a high efficiency type of an offensive player for somebody who does have the ability to shoot so many threes. So between those four guys, you're going to see uh, probably somewhere between 90 and 110 minutes is what I'm guessing. And they can go small or as we're going to talk about when we get, talk, get to the front court, they're going to be able to play bigger with. Bagley or even Lawrence playing some three and it's a very good situation for them to be in. And they're very complimentary players. And I think uh, as importantly as anything, there's a dog mentality about them. They're hungry. You can tell that they're going to be physical. They're not going to back down from challenges. They're going to match Hurley's emotional disposition. So there's a lot of positives there. And the backcourt was something last year that even even though it was a very inconsistent team, the backcourt did sometimes put up some good stats and numbers throughout a game with the players that were there. The part of the team that was very, very inconsistent last year and had a lot of question marks around it was the front court. Now, coming back are three players in that front court: Marcus Bagley, surprisingly returning to Arizona State, Kamani Lawrence and Jalen Graham as well. They also picked up the likes of Alonzo Gaffney, who has looked very impressive so far in the time that we've been able to watch him. And there's been uh, Bobby Hurley has talked about him a lot as well. They've added a couple other players as well to that front court. And it's looking a little bit more like they're going to be able to go out there, grab rebounds and be a little bit more strong defensively is what Bobby Hurley has already talked about early on. So what does that front court really look like Carson and who is the most important players that should be looked out for? Well, it is dramatically improved. And of course, a lot of eyes will be on Marcus Bagley returning preseason first team all pack 12 a guy who has been billed as a first round type of talent I think what is nice about Bagley in the scope of this team is that you know he may be viewed as that premier talent but he really is a versatile player and that he is going to play both ends of the floor last year we saw him really overwhelmingly used as a catch and shooter two-thirds of his shots were from deep and he was the rare guy who actually did fit alongside all those other more ball dominant players so now Maybe we see more advanced creation off the dribble. Maybe we see more one-on-one -on -one bucket getting, but we also know that he can fit alongside those guards who are going to have the ball in their hands. So that bodes well. Kamani Lawrence ended last year on a tear playing his best basketball ever. He is just a guy who is going to compete on both ends, fight on the glass, versatile defensively, not a super skilled offensive player, but they don't really need all that much from him. They've talked about improving his shot until we see it reliably. I think that I will probably be skeptical of the value there, but he does enough elsewhere to where he's a legitimate guy. And then you have the bigs and Alonzo Gaffney has been absolutely 
probably the story of what we've seen so far. So impressive athletically. Guy with a 7'3 wingspan, nimble in the air, great on his feet. And against St. Catherine was just the ultimate intimidator defensively, like a massive deterrent. Dudes are putting up ridiculous shots to try to avoid his length, or they're just not putting up shots at all. And so that is a kind of rim protection and of defensive versatility that they didn't have last year in the front court because he's good on his feet, can switch out to the perimeter as well. Then now Jalen Graham doesn't have to have that burden as an interior guy where he's really pretty undersized. And it's not like Gaffney is that much stronger or thicker, but he's longer, he's more athletic, he has better rim protection ability accordingly. So Graham is probably able to play a role he's more comfortable with on both ends. Offensively, seems to want to drift out to the perimeter a bit more. We'll see if he validates that, if the jump shot is far enough along. But regardless, he may be more comfortable. And then Boache, again, is probably just going to start the year as a rotational piece, like probably their ninth guy or something, their third big man. But I think a guy who has potential to improve as the year goes along, absurd physical traits, 6'10", 240, 7'4", wingspan, powerful athlete, fluid mover as well, and a guy who just takes up a massive amount of space and is really good on his feet. We saw one switch from him against St. Catherine. that was just unbelievable. So again, it is the defense that stands out. A lot of defensive talent there and the offense will probably still be primarily initiated by that backcourt, but you have Bagley who can score. You have Gaffney who can be this dynamic role, man, this athlete at the rim, but also a floor spacer potentially. And it's just significantly improved. They are not going to get out rebounded in 90% of their games like they did last year. And Bobby really talked about how well, going through lay layup lines last year, he looked at the other teams and he was like, well, we are just undersized. We are physically outmatched. ASU does not look like that whatsoever this year. And the front court is a major reason for that. I'm going to be really interested to see, and Carson touched on this, how ASU's front court performs in terms of its rebounding. Because if you look back to last year, one of the things that we were constantly writing about was ASU's inability to consistently rebound. And it was costing them games. It hurt them. One that sticks out to me particularly was against Oregon State. There was a bad rebounding situation. There were others, but that's just the one that comes to mind for me right now. And it happened a lot, and they were inconsistent in that regard. I think that this team has the potential to be significantly improved in that area, particularly with the addition of Gaffney, with Graham now older and more mature, with Lawrence back in the fold, and Bagley, of course, who's going to catch a lot of attention, like Carson said. And it's going to create a group, in my opinion, that has the potential to really do what needs to be done in terms of being able to rebound the ball and set up the backcourt to be successful. And that wasn't something that ASU was able to do last year. And it now has a group that very possibly could do that and has already shown a lot of potential in that regard. And I think that that's a massive improvement for a team that struggled particularly in that area last year. And let's keep in mind on this point, Marcus Bagley was actually ASU's top rebounder last year, but he only played in half the team's games, right? He averaged over six rebounds a game and he was playing out of position a lot of times as a four man, if you will, when he really should be like a three or even, you know, maybe in the future, maybe even a two long, long term. And I don't, we'll see about that. But uh, so what happens when he's now playing a lot of minutes at the three and you have people who can support and back up Jalen Graham, who should athletically be able to go get a, a bunch of rebounds in Alonzo Gaffney, Enoch Bawache, right? Uh, really even, I think, Kamani Lawrence, who, um, at, you know, at times last year showed the ability to go be a double-double guy, even in the Pac-12 that happened on a few occasions. So uh, couple that with guards being better rebounders by far, and also the length to do things defensively that ASU couldn't even dream of doing last year, as Carson talked about, and the depth. Now, plus the versatility to play with two bigs on the floor in ways that they couldn't really last year. Because remember, Alonzo Gaffney, he actually looks fine shooting the ball out to the three-point line. 
Kamani Lawrence, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. His he his shot doesn't look good, but then sometimes he goes out there and he makes some threes, right? So, but you can, but the point is that you can tailor what you want to do with your lineups to opponents, to what you're how you're trying to exploit teams. You do have depth, you can come at teams in waves. So I just think that they, they have five guys really in the front court who have the ability to really help them, maybe even a six, if you include Jemiah Neal, the freshman who's every bit of six, six, and looks like a guy who can rebound and shoot the floor, shoot the ball, pardon me, as a small forward. But it's going to come down to, we know Marcus Bagley's going to play a ton. He played almost 30 minutes a game last year when he was healthy, right? Uh, Kamani Lawrence is probably going to play quite a bit, maybe 25 minutes, give or take let's say, right? Uh, Jalen Graham, I would say at least he's going to play maybe 20-ish minutes a game. I think there's a good possibility where we see that he ends up sort of splitting the amount of minutes uh, with Alonzo Gaffney. I could see Gaffney also playing maybe around 20-ish minutes a game, Uh, maybe a little bit more if they're playing those guys together sometimes. And then you have Enoch Boache, who's I agree, probably going to be your ninth guy. A lot of ASU fans are wondering, well, hey, man, this guy was a five-star, and he was expected to be this immediate impact and, and, and you know, provide them with a huge lift, and that's probably not going to happen. So you got to manage expectations a little bit on that. He's had some injury issues. I don't think he's particularly assertive on the offensive end, but he actually has assimilated quite well, and I don't think his expectations are outsized whatsoever. And um, so if he is like your third center or maybe your second, if you're playing in some big lineup combinations, that ends up not actually being a bad thing um, for what he's able to provide. But so they, they, they go nine to 10 deep. If you include Jemiah Neal in there, which I think they probably should. And so they're in a very good situation in terms of their overall talent, their depth, and how they have the ability to compete and match up. Yeah, when you guys go through the roster in terms of backcourt and frontcourt, the, the clear thing you see is a lot of talent. Last year, there was a lot of talent as well, but the talent didn't really matter because they didn't really come together. And, and as you guys have talked about, there wasn't necessarily a huge identity for the team. You guys have already touched on maybe some sort of more so of a defensive identity for this team, but is there anything that sticks out kind of early on that would suggest it's going to be different or better this year in terms of the identity and culture around the team. I would say, honestly, just about everything that we have seen would suggest that they're going to be better in that respect, as far as their willingness to play hard, to play together as we've touched on. And I would point to the length improvements. It's just ridiculous. You have guys like Bagley and Kamani Lawrence with near seven foot wingspans, Jalen Graham, seven foot two, Bawache, seven, four, Alonzo Gaffney, seven, three, they are just going to take up massive amounts of space defensively, close gaps, protect the rim, do things that they couldn't do last year when it was kind of ridiculous how they were forced to play defense. And Bobby Hurley's talked about how they had to be so hyper-aggressive where if they're not forcing steals and then getting out in transition, well, they can't play 30 seconds of good defense. They can't intimidate teams with their length, with their competitiveness and intensity on that end. That has completely changed. I also do think the shooting is an understated thing to watch because they have added a lot of quality guys in that respect to this team. They may have now a floor spacing five in Alonzo Gaffney. And last year, they were 33% from deep. And when you are a team that is completely perimeter centric, you're just not going to find success doing that, obviously. And that was another thing that bit them last year. So yes, as we've touched on, the defense, the shooting, the depth, the cohesion, all of those things I would expect to see significant improvement from ASU. There's not much more for, for me to add there. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that everything that we've seen so far is pointing towards this team being far improved in nearly every category in terms of its identity, in terms of its overall product. I just think that the improvements that were made from a personnel standpoint, from a, even a coaching standpoint, the way that Bobby Hurley is delivering what he wants to his players and how it needs to be carried out, I think that that's gotten better. I think that Bobby Hurley has a clear vision of what he wants to see when his team takes the floor. 
Uh, and for those reasons, I would say just like Carson, this is a team that sets up very nicely to be far improved in nearly every category from where it was last year. Look, I don't think ASU is going to be world beaters. I picked the team to finish fourth in the Pac-12 this year. Um, I don't think anybody is saying on this podcast, oh, ASU is going to the Final Four, baby, or whatever. It's just that we like the personnel and we like the energy that they bring and the cohesiveness and they seem to be a team that should be able to have a pretty consistent product. And you know what they're going to be able to hang their hat on, on a game to game basis. And they give their coaching staff the ability to figure out how to put together game plans to match up with opponents. And uh, Hurley just seems so much more relaxed and happy in just working with these guys and the type of team that he's going to be able to put together. And he did really have to grind this offseason, unlike anything that he's had previously, in order to make it happen. He, you know, personally was very invested in pursuing a lot of these players. And they said as much to us. Jay Heath, Marion Jackson, uh, DJ Horn, they all really talked about Hurley's personal attempts to persuade them to join ASU in pursuit of the vision that he had for the team this year. Um, there is a possibility that perhaps they don't uh, aren't able to get everybody on the same page always about who's getting how many shots and the distribution of some of those things. Yeah, and there is a possibility that they may not be good enough scoring the ball in the post this year uh, in terms of playing inside out, if you will, at times. I, I think that those are there's legitimate questions. So they're not going to be world beaters probably, but they should be extremely competitive and they should be a team again that people are actually enjoying watching. Unlike last year, which proved to be probably the biggest disappointment relative to expectations that ASU fans have had in many, many years. And you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but going, going into this season, you guys have talked about a lot of positives so far but what kind of question marks surround this team and, and, and what are the expectations with those question marks and all the good things you guys have talked about? What are the expectations for this season after those question marks that you might talk about? Well, I do think it's worth stating that although there are so many positive indications about these guys' willingness to play together and embrace this team spirit, this is a significant challenge. A majority of these guys have never played basket had never played competitive basketball together until a couple weeks ago and they still haven't faced a legitimate opponent obviously in that respect. So the tune-up period is probably going to be I mean it's going to be a test and they may be very well equipped to handle that, but it is worth noting that even if we see all these positive things, it's a major challenge to have an entire basketball team come together when they have such little experience playing together. I don't think that's going to be a huge factor, but early in the year, it is worth tracking, and they kind of do get thrown into the fire in the first few weeks with some tough matchups, going to San Diego State, playing in the battle for Atlantis where they'll have some really tough matchups. So we'll see if the handful of games they have, including the exhibitions and the first three games of their schedule, are enough to really get them in form. I do think that is worth tracking. And then I really do think that there's a couple of bigs who can be swing elements for this team. I think that if Alonzo Gaffney consistently pays, plays up to his potential, he is clearly the best big man on this team right now. We'll see if he can do that, though. It is worth remembering that he was at Northwest Florida State College last year. So, again, it hasn't always been super consistent from him, but the talent is undeniable and he did look very good and engaged and playing both ends of the floor in the exhibition against St. Catherine. And then I do think Boache is very much worth tracking because as Chris said, not only is this guy a freshman on a very experienced team, he had his off season significantly disrupted. And that really matters when you are making the transition, obviously to the power five level. So he's probably not going to be what he ends this season as at the beginning. I think we see probably more progress from him throughout the year than anybody else just because he is so immensely talented. I do think he's a guy who has traits that say 
he could be, you know, a lottery draft pick in the future. Like genuinely, he is so impressive athletically. He has flashes of skill. I think his jump shot long-term is projectable. I think he can really play both ends. He can run in transition. Like there's just so many things he does well. How much of that is he going to do consistently as a freshman in college coming off of an injury-affected offseason, though, remains to be seen. But if he can be a very legitimate third big, maybe even, I, well, I, I don't know. We'll see how far he can progress. But the dude is super talented, and he would just be another really valuable guy in this front court. So I think that how they gel quickly, striking that balance, making sure that all the praise we have given them based on the limited stuff we've seen is justified. And then ultimately, the two most talented bigs on this roster reaching their potential. And even Jalen Graham, you know, how does he thrive in his new role if he is playing more of the four? I think that that's very relevant too because we've seen the flashes of skill, but also he hasn't always been super consistent attacking from the perimeter. And his greatest value defensively, although he is undisciplined as a rim protector, really is his shot blocking. And so if you pull him away a little bit more, how does he handle that? I think those are kind of the major questions right now. And Carson, you, you made a comment about Alonzo Gaffney, just him being from Northwest Florida State College, that you don't 100% know what you're going to get from him when the competition starts to get tougher. And that's true. And I would point out that the rest of the roster is kind of similar in terms of where it comes from. You just look at ASU's scholarship roster, besides Graham, Lawrence, and Bagley, who have played at Arizona State, they face Pac-12 competition. You just look up and down. Freshman, 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 freshman. Luther Muhammad, who was at Ohio State but sat out last year. Toledo, Boston College, Illinois State, and then Gaffney from Northwest Florida State College. And while some of these guys have faced some high-level competition, none of them really have played in the Pac-12, save for three guys in ASU's front court. So how is this team going to respond to that? What are things going to look like when the competition does get tough? And like you said, Carson, that's going to happen fairly quickly right away when the season gets going, when ASU travels to a San Diego State or goes to the Bahamas to face a group of very solid schools. So I think that that's something to follow. Uh, I do obviously think that this, this team has potential, like we've outlined extensively throughout this, con throughout this podcast. Um, but it's just kind of a matter of how it's going to perform and how these guys, some of whom have either no experience or very little experience at major basketball colleges, how they're going to perform when things start, when the competition starts to stiffen. I totally agree that the assimilation of the group is one of the biggest challenges. Now they have looked very good in their exhibition games. And so that is an indicator that they may naturally have a pretty good feel for one another already. And there is an advantage in that uh, they play Portland, UC Riverside and North Florida at home in their first week and a half as their first three games, all of which they really should win pretty easily. Uh, if they get into a really good rhythm there, then who knows what can happen as a springboard into playing at San Diego State and then playing uh, Baylor in that first game at the Battle for Atlantis. I mean, that's a, that's a huge week that they got going on there. And they have other significant challenges in December. You look at it they, they, the, with the Pac-12 uh, going to the, the, the bigger schedule. They, they play at Oregon in the first week of December. Then they play at Creighton a week and a half later. That's a very difficult, hostile environment. Um, so the, the schedule is not easy. Uh, but I do think that they're not really going to be athletically or matchup wise at a major disadvantage to most of those teams, maybe against Baylor, right? Cause it's, they're, they're one of the usually longest, most athletic teams in the country. Uh, and that, that's going to be a really good barometer for, for where they're at that week. Um, I, I totally agree with something that Carson said, which is that, Certain guys like Bawache, Gaffney, they should be really improving as the season goes on. Uh, in fact, if they're not really improving as the year goes on, that to me is like a question mark about why not, right? If, they, if they're healthy, because these guys are just oozing with a tremendous amount of upside to be developed. Like, it, it, and they seem like they're really invested in trying to be better versions of themselves too, at least what I'm seeing, right? Uh, there have been some questions about Gaffney about that previously when he was a top 50 rec recruit coming out of high school 
went to Ohio State. It didn't pan out. Then he ends up in junior college. Now this is his third stop and, you know, really as in many years. So, yeah, okay, maybe that's a little bit of a red flag. But when you get into the right culture and environment and you have the, 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 the things in place that can allow all of that to percolate, well, uh, I'm going to look at the coaching and the player development as, as a, one of the, the key indicators. Uh, and, and that's, I guess, essential, especially when you also include Jalen Graham. The coach said a lot of positive things about Jalen Graham. Last year was rough because he had the mono and there was probably too much thrust upon him. Well, between these guys, they should be getting more. And if, you, and if you're able to develop that, and then you're able to get the guards all in the type of synergistic rhythm that we anticipate very possible, well, now you actually could be an NCAA tournament team when you put all of it together, uh, coupled with a solid performance in the Pac-12. And real quickly, with those question marks talked about and all the positives before that on the show, we'll go to you first, Carson. What are the expectations for this team this season? Well, I think that they should certainly be in clearly the top half of the Pac-12. I honestly think that they should probably be the third or fourth best team in the conference. I would say I expect them to win probably 19 games, go 19 and 12. And what I think is relevant in that is what Chris touched on with just how rough some of those opening non-conference and in-conference games are. Like, Battle for Atlantis, those are going to be tough opponents. Going to San Diego State, going to Creighton, even playing a team like San Francisco at home, that's a game they should win, but that's a legitimate non-conference opponent. That's a program that has been very solid. And some of your opening conference games at Oregon, at USC, at UCLA, that's all by January 1st. So ASU could be sitting right around 500 halfway through the year, and I would say in advance, if that is the case, that's not cause for panic because it's actually going to get easier from there in Pac-12 play. They should have a better sense of playing with each other. They should be more comfortable. And really, they are getting the toughest stuff out of the way on the first half of their schedule. So I think that 19 and 12, and I honestly think that they have the potential to be a, a fringe tournament kind of team. I don't think that, like Chris said, they have some sort of final four potential, but given the fact that they were left with nothing after last season, effectively. I mean, we didn't even know if Marcus Bagley and Kamani Lawrence were going to come back and all of the prominent leaders of the backcourt left and whatnot, and even the depth in the backcourt left. Like, they have had a dramatic turnaround, and I think that Bobby Hurley really did an impressive job of getting in guys with talent and who fit the identity, and we'll see if they really love up, live up to all of that praise soon enough here. Yeah, Carson, I would tend to agree. Uh, I was going to say that, you know, the over-under for wins this season for ASU, in my opinion, should be like 18 and a half. I think that they're right around there. And I would also echo that if ASU can be, you know, within a game or two either way of 500 by New Year's, that would be a, a pretty solid start considering who this team has to face and where they're going to be facing them in the early stretch of the year considering all the things that are going to have to happen in terms of gelling together and being able to kind of uh, play up to the competition and to learn the level of the competition and do all of that this team will have to do, seeing as though it has not really played together at all. And there are some guys on this team who are extremely inexperienced at this level. So I think that, you know, this is a team that has the potential to be solid. I definitely think it should be within the top half of the Pac-12, if not in the top, you know, three or four schools. Uh, but, but I think that it's solid. And I think that like Carson said, it's a team that could be a fringe tournament team. I'm not so sure that it is. I would probably lean towards no for now, but definitely with the room for that to grow into a yes. And again, I just think that this is one of those teams that's going to demonstrate some vast improvement. If you were to compare it side by side with what ASU had last year. Yeah, so I think a reasonable goal is just to be above 500 by the time you get to New Year. Uh, and, and then from there, uh, probably something that's realistic is, is just being a 10 and 10 or 11 and 9 type of a team in, in, in Pac-12 play. Uh, and if you do that, then you're definitely a bubble team, I think, at a minimum. And um, then you're going in probably – based upon the trajectory of that, 
feeling, as long as you're healthy, pretty good about where you're at going into the Pac-12 tournament. It's the type of team that could make a run in the tournament based upon their, the composition of the roster and where the development should happen with some of their younger players. Uh, and then also as you calibrate some of the older players who have maybe played on this level uh, to what that's like in the Pac-12. Uh, so I, I think that they're not going to be probably a 24-win team or anything like that, but I, I could see 18 to 20 wins and feeling really good about um, where they're at going into Pac-12 play and people talking about whether they're going to make the tournament or not. Uh, maybe even the possibility of finishing third in the Pac-12 uh, on the high end of what would be an average expectation. I don't think they're going to be ahead of UCLA, probably not ahead of Oregon. Uh, after that, I mean, I think USC is probably on the sort of upper end, but then you get into a group of the Colorados and Arizonas, right? And you guys, you should be able to at least be competitive with those teams, uh, Oregon State, Washington State, et cetera. Maybe if things go well on the, on the better end of those teams. And, um, but again, I just want to underline even though they may not be world beaters, I think people are going to really actually enjoy watching this team play. And uh, it's going to be a fun style of basketball and a good brand. And absolutely in no way just saying those things to keep people invested. Like I, I, I really think that this is going to be one of the more enjoyable teams that Bobby Hurley's had to watch. Not only will it be enjoyable, as I definitely agree with you, just from the one exhibition game we've watched and the practices that we've gone to, it should be an exciting team to watch. But fans are allowed to be back in Desert Financial Arena, able to cheer on the team again, so it should be an exciting season to stay up to date. And so make sure to stay tuned to all of our content throughout the basketball season as Bobby Hurley's team that he's pieced together takes on another season uh, in front of Arizona State Sun Devil fans. But for now, that's it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source podcast. For Jacob Brunner, Chris Cartman, and Carson Breber, I'm Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.